Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 15, the one about humour in marketing, Google Chrome extensions and the Terminator. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello there and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest tech, news content and wisdom from the world of marketing. I'm joined by my co-host, a man on a mission to keep marketing simple, is the voice of the Marketing and Finance Podcast and the host of the Roger Vlog video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Hello. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. And of course, my co-host is also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Here is Pascal Fintoni. Thank you very much, Roger. I look forward to this now. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel like work at all, even though it is, you know, formally content marketing. Others are enjoying it too. We get some lovely feedback on social media and more. We also got an email, Roger, from Josh Smith, who's working for Age UK, the North Tyneside branch. Now, Josh is a marketing apprentice, which suggests that he's starting his career in one of the finest occupations, if I may say so, Josh. I'm sure you'll find that Roger and I are very happy with uh, a career in marketing, but Josh was inquiring about where he could listen to the podcast. Now, I did reply to the email, um, and thank you again, Josh, for your support, but would it be worth reminding people the different platform where the audio-only version is available? Yeah, the audio-only version of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast is wherever you can find audio podcasts. So the Apple podcast app is the obvious choice but you can also listen to it on spotify you can listen to it on something called stitcher radio and and any uh podcasting apps that you can download either to your phone or onto your desktop device excellent so do remember just putting it into the search box two gigs and a marketing podcast if you can use the speech marks to make it a, a perfect match and you'll find us because today is episode number 15 one five Fantastic. Shall we get into it? Let's start with the news. The Singapore National Tourist Board has launched two cruises with a difference. Labelled Cruises to Nowhere, holidaymakers are invited to board ships that will depart from and return to the same port, with no stops in between. Right. Well, Google recently announced it is relaunching DG Suite as Google Workspace, and they are promising a better online collaboration experience with a greater integration between Google Meet or Chat with Gmail, Google Drive, Google Docs and Sheets. Right, so Facebook has announced that it will stop displaying political ads in the US after the polls close on the 3rd of November. The social network has already begun removing adverts with dangerous or misleading claims. According to a new report from App Annie, the COVID-19 pandemic will have a long-lasting impact on all of us using mobile phones. With, listen to this, Roger, 33 billion new apps downloaded and $28 billion spent on apps globally just in the third quarter of 2020. That's a 20% year-on-year. Pizza Hut has a surprise for football fans stuck at home called Foosball Pizza Box. It's a fully playable foosball table integrated into the pizza box lid. The campaign from Pizza Hut is designed to offer an extra slice of football fun. Oh dear, well, in an interview for the Guardian newspaper, Tim Richards, chief executive of the cinema chain View, said, We will survive, we're just in movies. The future is indeed looking uncertain, with the UK box office unlikely to 
to hit 400 million pounds, sorry, down from 1.25 billion pounds last year, the smallest stake since the mid-90s. And Apple is still the top technological brand for teens. According to a survey by Piper Sadler, 86% of teens own an iPhone and 89% say they intend to purchase an iPhone as their next device. The preferred social network is Snapchat, followed by TikTok, both recently overtaking Instagram. According to a research by Numerator, candy companies are running smaller online campaigns rather than large TV adverts, with 73% of consumers expected to be doing less trick-or-treating and eating more candy at home. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Pascal, I need to talk to you about this cruises to nowhere. I thought you might. Now, um, now actually, I can just about get my head around going on a boat and sailing around. I, that, that's probably not bad, you know, if it's a if it's somewhere in the Mediterranean or it's a nice lake or something like that. But I've also heard of airlines doing these flights to nowhere, where you basically pay them four or five hundred quid. You get on the plane, they take off, fly around for a couple of hours, and then they land again at the same airport. Now. Yes, I, I think flying in an aeroplane is fantastic, but I wouldn't want to go to the airport and go through all the rigmarole security just to get on a plane to take off and land again. I can get it with a boat, but let, let's stick with boats and let's not do it with planes. I would agree with you. I just think, okay, uh, people will be very fond of aircraft and enjoy the experience, but if you're going nowhere, and I'd imagine, I mean, on the cruise ship, I think you'd be able to, you know, do it right in terms of social distancing and everything else that comes with it. So an aircraft's going to be much, much trickier unless somebody's missing, you know, airline foods that much. Um, I mean, what's next, Roger? The Uber to nowhere or, <laughs> or the train? To, can you have a train to nowhere? Perhaps tricky, but you know, you could do a back and back and you know, I could leave Newcastle, never actually jump uh, into Edinburgh and get back to Newcastle again. I don't know. Yeah. It can be very strange. Absolutely right. And and a a, you know what, this Pizza Hut thing, it made me laugh as I was reading that out there, uh, which is, is such a good surprise when something makes you laugh and, and a bit more on humour coming up in the, in, the, in the next section. But a pizza box that doubles up as a foosball bo uh, uh, board, it's just genius. So, so funny. I so think you're funny. right. And you know, it's all about the creativity at this moment in time. And in a way, you know, whilst we, we can laugh at the cruises to nowhere, it is about people trying to think about things a bit differently. Um, and that leads me on to talking to you about the cinema. I mean, obviously, you released recently another, you know, video where you are commenting on the fact that the Bond movie had been obviously pushed till next year again, and we yep. are missing out on. Well, we knew that this end of year is going to be awfully crowded, but most of those movies and have been pushed till next year. And I know that small independent cinemas are reacting by doing more kind of, you know, looking back, nostalgia type screenings of movies from the 80s. They're doing like big, long kind of marathons, you know, of all the alien movies or they're doing some Back to the Future stuff. So they mm -hmm. are looking at people to watch on the big screen th their favorites. So when obviously Tim Richards says, you know, we will survive, we're just in movies, my reaction is twofold. I, I agree, I understand, and I really, really feel for an industry that I absolutely love. But you also have not near enough 50 to 70 years worth of movies to go back to. So am I perhaps being a little unkind here? 
I don't know, Pascal. You know, the distributors. We've also. It's not just Bond, is it? We've we've heard this week that the June film is going to be delayed until twenty twenty two. I think Batman is delayed mm. probably until twenty twenty two as well. And I can't help but think that some of these distributors are just a bit old fashioned in their views and thinking, let's just wait until the cinemas come back. Well, if we wait too long, cinemas just might not be there in the future, you know? So there must be some sort of halfway house. And we've said it before on the show where we can pay for something, we get it and we can watch it at home. And maybe that comes with a the, the, the cinema ticket. You can go and see it at the cinema and you, and you can see it at home. And it's it's an all-in-one price. I, I don't know, but they've got to do something. You're right. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not hard, but again, it's, it's kind of hoping that things could be different or are going to be different. So uh, I want cinemas to, to last, you know, both mm. the chains and the independents, but they, they, they have options. You know, that's, I suppose, the message we're making. And I want to close, not on the candy. Uh, this has been my birthday week, so of course I've been guilty of eating far too much. But um, the fact that so many teenagers want to own an iPhone that costs more than my first car. <laughs> of course, the iPhone... The full version of the iPhone Pro is over a thousand pounds now, unless you buy it on some sort of contract. So yeah, it's an incredibly expensive piece of kit. My, my first car was cheaper than the, the current iPhone, and yeah. also Roger to save money to save money because that, that back then you know I was still uh, very young and my salary wasn't stretching very far as a young marketing officer. Uh, I also went for the option with no power steering to save a bit of money. Ah. Uh, never again. I mean, never I did again. have very strong forearms <laughs> for a while, but um, you know. <laughs> what was your first car, Pascal? It was the Corsa. Yeah. Ah, the, it, the, it was the, very like you know, some of the early model of the Vauxhall Corsa. It was a white one. Uh-huh. Um, I think it had a, a name on the side, like a little sticker. I was very proud of that. But um, yeah, saving money on power steering wasn't perhaps the best move. My first car was also a Vauxhall. Was it? it was a, a Vauxhall Nova. So there right. you go. <laughs> Excellent. So, well, thanks very much for the news. And let's move on now to the content spotlights. Now, in the content spotlights, Roger and I surprise each other with a little, some of the research, some of the findings, a little gem from the interweb that is there to help us think through about how our content marketing efforts can be improved. So, Roger, what have you got for us this week? Well, I'm building upon the uh, discussion we've just had in the news there, where I, it made me laugh thinking about the Pizza Hut uh, foosball box. <laughs> this is an article that appeared in Marketing Week, written by Charlotte Rogers. So I've chosen articles by this lady quite a few times. The headline is Marketoonist on Humour in Marketing. It can be an act of empathy. Now, Mark Atunist is actually a, ja- uh, a chap called Tom Fishburn, and he and he draws cartoons in, in Marketing Week, and and the article is really looking again. It's it's looking at the the whole of the marketing industry as a result of COVID, and everything's doom and gloom, and quite a lot of brands are inadvertently becoming frightened of using humour in their communications. You know, they don't want to upset anybody. Now, obviously, you've got to be careful. You don't want to deliberately set out to upset anybody. And, and, you know, it could be a diversity thing. It could be, you know, rude or whatever it is. But this article is suggesting that brands are getting so frightened of upsetting people that there is just no humor 
in their communications anymore. And we know, we know that that humour can really help to sell and really can help to engage with the customer. And and it's really saying, you know, come on, let's get some humour back. And and this just made me think a lot about, you know, some of the adverts from the past that just genuinely make you laugh. And and I, and I'm having difficulty actually thinking of an advert recently apart from the pizza hut thing that you just mentioned before that has actually made me laugh and and, and again that the article's quite good it goes into a bit of detail is as to the sorts of humor that you can use so for example it says you could use self-defeating humor where you you put yourself or your brand down uh it talks about aggressive humor which is where you put others down and it, it advises you pretty pretty much don't do that uh there's self-enhancing humor which means laughing at yourself but the what it what they're trying to get people to think about is affiliative humor which is right. laughing with others and and it, and it it's quite good, Pascal. It, it gives you a few examples. There's, there's one which is um, by a Veggie Crisps brand called Emily, and the, and and these are just banner ads that that are on the side of bus stops. And the the advert says, "This is our first ever poster, but it's only going to be seen by a runner and a pigeon." Typical. And that's quite <laughs> nice because they're they're building a bit of humour into the fact that we're on lockdown and, and people. Aren't going to aren't that going to be as many people seeing it as if the the high street was absolutely crowded? So it was a bit of a wake up call for me because you know the news is full of doom and gloom, um, the high streets full of doom and gloom, and if if communications from brands that we associate with can be a, a, a doom and gloom as well, you know where where is the light shining from? So this article is a good wake up call to have a look at your communications and think about how you can build some humor into it. And, and I think uh, Tony, in my kind of uh, you know background and career path into B2B, that was something that was avoided at all costs, if I remember uh, vividly. And once I was able to kind of put my point across, either through age or just simply uh, you know, be a bit braver, I was saying, well, think of it as wit instead. Is that better? Yes. Is that more? And I think that's where people sometimes, you know, the one that you mentioned a moment ago, to be observant to what was happening around you and picking the signals, you know, what's happening, the mood of the time, and doing something that is witty. If you find that the term humor sometimes a little, uh, you know, unnerving, oddly, because we don't want people to be humorous. We want people to actually be human, I would argue, mm. and mm. just show us that. They get it. They get, you know, what we are going through, or what their customer or industry is is going through, uh, and I think that's a, that was a wonderful reminder. Yeah, and, and that was the heading of the article was how the humour can be an act of empathy, and and you've just described it perfectly there. It, it, you, using humour to get empathy with your customers in such trying times has got to be an advantage for brands that try to do it. Well, you know, we mentioned obviously um, a few episodes ago the John Lewis uh, TV advert yes. about you know the fact that people are stuck at home. So I watched it actually uh, several times, you know, and I looked at it, and I would say this is another one that is using that kind of wit and, and human condition, where you know the kids are kind of stealing everything that's around the house to make a show for their parents. And I thought it was just such a heartwarming, but actually very s- simple message all around. Yeah, so so if you're listening to the podcast or watching the podcast, tell us what your favourite humorous 
advert is. It can be from the past, it can be from now. Just tell us what it is. Tweet us or or, or reply to a comment on the uh, on the YouTube channel and just tell us what your favourite advert is. One of my favourite adverts in the past is the Smash Martians, you know, the little robots that cook uh, potatoes and then they smash them all to bits and then they all start laughing. You know, I, I, it always makes me smile when I see that advert. So t- tell us what your favourite humorous ads are. Excellent. So for this week, Roger... I've selected a research uh, paper, which I want to okay. share with you. But before I get into that, I need to tell you a bit of a story that actually will highlight why this selection is uh, great for us. So about a fortnight ago, I was on LinkedIn and I saw an advert from a company that will remain nameless, as you'll see why in a moment. And the advert you know, was a sponsored post on LinkedIn was offering access to a 2020 marketing trends report. Mm-hmm. And I'm a bit of a sucker for good data. And I like to actually understand what's going on. I could bring it on the podcast. So I could use it for my training courses and so on. So sure enough, clicked on the link, left, left all my details on the uh, kind of landing page, as, as you would imagine. And then a moment later, I got a um, PDF document in my inbox, the famous you know, 2020 marketing trends. So I'm reading this document. And then by page number two, I'm just confused about the tone. I'm just a bit confused about the way in which they're expressing the data. And then very quickly, as I'm flicking through, I'm almost like a scan reading the PDF, Roger. I realized that how is it that this document giving me you know, trends about 2020 is not making reference to the pandemic? I'm, I'm just a little confused here. So anyway, I look into it in more details and I discover that this document that was advertised on LinkedIn only two weeks ago had been produced had been produced in December 2019. Right. And right. now, there is nothing wrong with being proud of your content and promoting it, but you've got to be very careful about how you do it and how you present it. And there was no indication, whether on the adverts or even on the lending page, that I was accessing essentially something that was from the, the vault or the archive, which actually mm-hmm. can be helpful mm-hmm. if you want to do comparison. But I'm also thinking, Roger, this was an advert, so that cost them, you know, pay-per-click and so on. So I was really quite confused about the whole approach. All I can assume, Roger, is that unfortunately this organization was completely disconnected with their own content marketing effort. Essentially, yeah. this is automation. And I'm going to use one of my famous sentences from years ago. Automation will often make you look dumb. And (laughs) and what I'm saying there, Roger, and warning to all of us and to others out there, be very careful about how you set the scene with a someone like me, not I mean like someone that is keen to receive a documentation. And if you don't even say, oh, by the way, this is access to something that was produced a year ago. Or by the way, this is uh, what we thought in December 2019. And here's the new data from, you know, 10 months later. So we can do a comparison. There was no effort to repurpose it or to make it um, much better. So, so that wasn't great. But a week later... I get an email from the Content Marketing Institute. And yes, I will name them because, of course, they're doing it right. And they've been mentioned often on this podcast as a good example to follow. And I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. And they just released their 11th annual survey 
of B2B uh, content marketing activities and strategies. So what they do, Roger, is that they interview their members. I'm pretty sure I took part in the survey myself. I've just forgotten about it. And they give the results about what people have been doing. And what they were saying is, well, uh, if you think that last year, we had very, very different views about 2020 and, and what's happened now. Now, the survey looks at a number of kind of challenges, if you will, or issues, content creation being number one, but you know, how do you measure? How do you lead a team? How do you kind of do all sort of things? So I've got some data for you, which I'm going to read from my notes, and then I get your reaction. So okay. this kind of overview was uh, created by Stephanie Stoll, who is the general manager for the CMI, Content Marketing Institute. So 94% of respondents say that they changed their content marketing strategy as a result of COVID-19, which I think makes sense. I may ask you why it's not 100%, but you know, that, that's a high number. Yeah. 70% agreed that they were encouraged to change their targeting as well as the content of the messaging. 64% adjusted their editorial calendar accordingly. Now, there was a figure further down the line, which surprised me, um, which is 86% are outsourcing their content creation. And my reaction was, well, that's high, but I'll, I'll see what Roger says. The methods that bring the best results in B2B content marketing are blog posts and articles, virtual events, webinars, and online courses. Interestingly, live streaming has gone up to 29% of all respondents using live streaming. It was 10% a year ago. And 70% agreed that they're going to invest even more on content creation and website optimization next year. Interesting stuff. You know, the outsourcing's interesting. Um, you, you know, you made the point about automation potentially being a dangerous thing. And, you know, the last thing you want is a load of automated tweets that go out on the day of some sort of national disaster and the tweet actually draw, either draws attention to it or becomes bad taste because of that disaster. And I've always shied away from automation for that very point. I, I guess I, I can understand why companies would outsource the production of their content, but I do wonder whether if you outsource it entirely, do you not lose the essence of your business and your brand? Now, obviously, you can give the, the people you outsource it to guidelines. You can give them your brand hierarchy and you know the, the colors and all of that sort of thing, but they're not you, are they? How do you, how do you keep it talking in the voice of yourself or your brand whether it's a business brand or a personal brand do you not, do you not lose that pascal that, that's that's the question i would have and for me it's also this idea of you know and the survey maybe if you read the full report there's some uh, insight into that but why are you outsourcing are you being you know too modest about your own abilities and you think that it's beyond you not to write well or to do podcasting and video or even for graphics and um, so why but how you know to your point how are you outsourcing and are you making sure that your external team feels you know part of who you are and they really understand you and this is about a long-term uh, relationship so it's just kind of interesting you know the, um, the the numbers but back to this idea of you know let's say 94 percent say that they, they change accordingly I've got a question. What about the other 6%? Is it because, in a way, the way in which they do their content marketing can fit many circumstances and scenarios, or are they still thinking about it? 
it just makes you wonder whether those 6% are a bit like the cinema uh, distributors. They're the ones that are just hoping that this is going to go away and everything will go back to normal and we'll just almost have a head in the sand attitude to it. I mean, you, you, you've everybody's had to change something. You know, we've either gone from being an offline business to an online business. We've had to change the messages. And whilst I wouldn't want to contradict what we said before about using humour and things like that, you have got to be aware of what's going on and just make sure that the message adapts to those scenarios. You know, how have your customers' needs changed as a result of the pandemic? And how do you need to alter your offer and your communications that support that offer to take in that into consideration. And uh, it suggests that at least 6% of these businesses haven't done that. Yeah, so if you are part of the 6%, do get in touch and let us know uh, yeah. what you're thinking. We may be actually uh, completely uh, uninformed about you know the, the motivations, but uh, it's, it seemed an interesting kind, kind of figure. And then the other one about this idea of you know 64% adjusting their editorial calendar. So what about the, the rest? Is it because we didn't have a calendar? Which is possible, uh, you know, in content marketing, it, it can be a bit of a challenge. Or again, is it because the nature of the content is such that it can be very, very easily adjusted without big, big efforts? So fascinating. But uh, the report was closed by Robert Rose, who uh, was mentioned in this podcast uh, some time ago, and he basically did a very witty, humorous uh, Roger. A bit of uh, article saying for all of you who would like to know what's happening uh, in 2021, uh, don't you know uh, use your energy in that way because nobody knows. Nobody knows. We haven't got a crystal ball, unfortunately. Now talking of crystal ball, that gives me a wonderful segue to talk about more items and technology that can support us. So let's move on to the marketing tech and apps segment. Now, I always look forward to this segment. Once again, I will get surprised by Roger with one of these gems in terms of marketing tech and apps. What have we got this week, Roger? All right. So, Pascal, the, this is actually a couple of apps that I've revisited uh, almost by accident, I have to say. Now, we have mentioned on the show before Canva and alternatives to Canva. Now, for people who don't know, Canva is is a, a platform where you can create graphics. You can create uh, things for Instagram. You can create banners for YouTube channels. You can create pictures and banners for all the social media networks and Canva is really rich in its flexibility and its functionality but it's not very practical on the iPhone because there's so much in Canva that you know there's just so many options and it can be and it can get quite fiddly and sometimes I quite like to add words to photographs it could just be like a, a, a an inspirational sentence or a descriptive sentence like this. And I used to use an app called Word Swag. Love the name of that, Word Swag. And quite uh, by accident, I came across it again the other day. So I downloaded it again, and it's actually undergone quite a big makeover since the last time I used it, which was probably about six months ago. So they haven't tried to catch up with Canva by adding loads and loads and loads of different functionality. It's still genuinely just about putting words onto photographs, but they've just changed the interface, just made it a little bit more intuitive and added extra fonts and the ability to put more than one uh, block of text on a photograph. So that that's effectively all it does, Pascal. You just 
upload the photograph and then you can choose the text text that you want to put in but it, it's just so easy and so quick and because it's on your phone if you're out and about you don't have to wait till you get home to go into canva and do it on your on your computer and you don't have to use your iphone thumb and fingers to mess around with the canva app i would suggest if words is what you want to do use word swag and then I discovered that since the last time that I use WordSwag, they've actually introduced another app, and this is my second choice, and this is called StorySwag. Now, StorySwag is more to, for people who like to post on Instagram stories or Snapchat or TikTok, and it allows you to actually animate the text that you put onto your photographs. And, and it's really quite, again, it's really simple, really intuitive, you can do it with a couple of clicks and you can get the text coming in from the sides, going coming up from the bottom, appearing, flashing, whatever you want it to do. And, and again, it just adds a little bit of life to the stories that you're posting on Instagram, Snapchat, wherever it is. So, so Word Swag and Story Swag. Now, Word Swag is completely free. Uh, you can use it as much as you want. You don't have to pay for it. Story Swag is free, but they have like a watermark in the bottom right corner, I think. And if you want to get rid of the watermark, then you've got to pay the fee. And it's it's only a couple of quid. So if, if this is really appealing to you, it's probably worth paying that couple of quid to get rid of the watermark. Oh, that's smashing. Thank you very much. So once again, we don't talk to each other about this uh, segment and we keep surprising or on occasion I have the meeting of minds because I have had something very similar. So Roger, this week I want to continue my kind of foray into the world of Chrome extensions. Mm-hmm. And there was one that I rediscovered and one that I discovered for the first time. So the first one that I discovered for the first time is called quite simply Awesome Screenshot and Screen Recorder. So in case you're not sure, Roger, it's about screenshots and screen grabbing and screen recording. And the way you use that is, is this around Around this idea of writing uh, blog articles where you want to be seen to be curating or quoting sources and on occasion people will actually take a screenshot of a web page or screenshot of a part of you know someone's maybe uh, online presence you can also now do it as a screen recording this is free for now uh, again you know sometimes things do change but what, what is really exciting with the screen uh, shot the screen grabbing you can as then within the interface crop and change the size and dimension to suit your blogging style which i think Uh is absolutely fantastic and with the screen recording there's some small small element of editing as well so you can actually create something that you can swiftly add to the um blog article you're creating crafting very very swiftly using the awesome screenshot and screen recorder which is a chrome um, extension so that was good fun so this is one that I discovered by rediscovering the second one, which is essentially Giphy for Chrome. (laughs) So Giphy will be known to pretty much everybody that is on the web and using the social media platform because this is how you can obviously reply to friends and family and more by using a short animated clips from a famous film or sometime uh, created by you know people who actually um, design those little animation now the reason why you would want to have giphy for chromes is that it allows you to use gifs as a reply within other things than social media such as emails a document and so on, but also it allows you to insert them into your blog articles. Now, depending on the sector you operate in, Roger, it may not be for you to always have a, a GIF uh, animation and, and so on and so forth, but it is a good option. 
But the reason why I was keen to mention Giphy for Chrome is because in a way what you want to have as well, if it's is Bigger Brother, which is essentially the version that allow you to um, make your own GIFs, which is essentially a web presence. So what you do is put you know, a Giphy on the Google search, you'll find the official website. And what you can do on Giphy is of course select the number of GIFs as you, you know them on social media, but you can create your own using your own images, your own video clips and your own brand. So that becomes interesting now to start to maybe you know, break down maybe a long article with some visuals that today have been static and you can animate you know, a series of titles. So for example, if you have a title that reads part three, um, best apps to curate content online, what you can do using Canva or even WordSwag, I'd imagine a, a word story, is create three, one which has just you know the colors, one which has the word part three, and the one which has a sentence, best apps to you know for content curations. And then they get animated by Giphy itself. And then you can download that as an MP4 and have it on your website. The one thing that they introduced about, I would say about two months ago now, there was event the headlines for a bit and didn't quite make the cut in the in the news segment, Roger, is that you can use Giphy to create your own animated Zoom backgrounds. <laughs> so for the right kind of delivery, for the right kind of online experience, you may want to have a background behind you that is slightly animated. Or you may want to actually have a series of and switch backgrounds depending on which key message you're sharing. But the other thing as well, Roger, that Zoom background is an MP4 file. I was thinking mm. out loud, could this become also another way to swiftly edit a 10, 20 second kind of video clip by using Giphy and then can you stitch them together to create you know, a longer form of content? So I just thought it would be an interesting one to add to one's toolkit. Definitely going to have a look at that. Um, I think I've heard of Giphy before, but I've never actually had a very close look and I haven't ever created a GIF of my own. So I'm going to have a look at it. Excellent. So for our viewers and listeners, if you are trying any of those uh, kind of marketing tech and apps, do let us know, send your work. If there are techs and apps that you're very fond of, very, very passionate about, do send us their details as well. It'd be a pleasure to review those for you. For now, Roger, it is time to get back in time and move on to This Week in History. In 1879, Thomas Edison creates the first commercially practical incandescent light bulb using a filament of carbonized cotton thread. After testing over 6,000 different vegetable fibers over 18 months, running 1,200 experiments and spending $40,000. Wow. Well, in 1984, the International Meridian Conference is held in Washington, D.C., leading to the adoption of the Greenwich Mean Time GMT worldwide and creating 24 international time zones with longitude zero at, well, the Greenwich Meridian. Yeah, in 1901, a 63-year-old schoolteacher named Annie Edson Taylor becomes the first person to take the plunge over Niagara <laughs> Falls in a barrel, and she survived the 175-foot drop and became a sought-after public speaker. In 1965, President Lyndon B. Johnson signs the Highway Beautification Act to limit ugly outdoor advertising and to clean up city parks by planting flowers and screening junkyards from view. In 1969, UCLA student Charlie Klein tries to send the word and log in over the first link on the ARP, 
ARPANET, the precursor to the modern internet, but the system crashed and only the first letters were received, making the first message ever sent on the internet as low. Well, in 1982, Rambo First Blood is released ah. in the US, starring Sylvester Stallone, Richard Crenna, and Brian Dennehy. The movie is based on the 1972 novel by Devin Morrell and is recognized today as the main influence to the action hero genre. In 1985, Nintendo releases the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES or the NES, together with 18 games including Donkey Kong Jr., Math, Duck Hunt, Excitebike, Kung Fu Master and Super Mario Brothers. And in 2001, using the slogan, 1,000 songs in your pocket, you've guessed it, Steve Jobs introduces the original iPod to the world. With a 5-gig hard drive, unique firewire connectivity and synchronization with iTunes, it completely changed the music and computer industry. Now, I listen to quite a few podcasts, Pascal, about the speaking industry. And, uh, you know, there's quite a lot of these podcasts give you tips on how to become a better public speaker and how to book more gigs. But never have I heard any of these podcasters say the best way to get speaking gigs is to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. My goodness. I have to say, you've had one of the, f the funniest uh, you know, information <laughs> this week you know, for this episode. I think it's fine because I nearly couldn't uh, do my bit after you mentioned the fact that the first message on the internet with the letter LO from the word login. So... In 1969, we tried, obviously, uh, you could say email for the very first time, and it didn't work. Maybe that was a sign that overall, you know, the world of IT and the internet would always be full of problems. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all. I all, when I was reading that piece of news out, I almost thought that the first message over the internet was going to be lol, lol. But I nearly said it actually as I was reading it out. But no, I had a close look, and it was just lo. <laughs> the reason I chose, you know, that information from the uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson about the Highway mm. Beautification Act is mm. because he and his wife, with others, worked on uh, did a research project that actually made a link between. Uh, essentially what people could see and their mental state. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they made a link between that and crime. There was a, some very, very interesting kind of correlation. Uh, and I think, you know, it's been true across the world. And I'm wondering whether we are potentially, bear in mind the need for better mental health and better, you know, kind of mindsets in general, are we moving towards a internet highway beautification mm -hmm. act? Mm. That's a very interesting point. Very interesting point. I was also drawn to the thousand songs in your pocket, the original iPod. I mean, again, do you know, it's, it's funny, Pascal. I've just seen, um, just before we started recording, it popped up in Spotify. Is It's actually the 40th anniversary of the release of the Vienna album by Ultravox. And uh, for people who, uh, um, who remember, Vienna was a single which went to number two in the charts but never got to number one and it was kept off the number one spot by a, a silly single by an Italian gun it was called Shad Up You Face but Ultravox Vienna is a classic <laughs> album and and of course they've released a 40th anniversary box set with about five different CDs and DVDs in but of course my natural uh, thing now is I go straight to Spotify and of course I can listen to the 40th anniversary thing on my iPhone and yeah that changed the world didn't it a thousand songs in your pocket 
Completely. And uh, that's been absolutely incredible. So I have to say that when it comes to the Nintendo uh, PlayStation, no, the NES, mm. I loved, absolutely loved Conqueror Master. Uh, it was probably the first proper game that felt, you know, you, you could play a, a martial artist or martial arts hero. And I mean, the hours I spent, uh, I think you only had two or three moves, you know, a low kick, side kick and a punch to the face. But uh, hours of fun guaranteed. Yeah, we were we were the opposite camp, Pascal. We were Sega Mega Drive people. Right. So it was Sonic the Hedgehog and, uh, and Hellfire and uh, and that sort of thing. So yeah, but all good stuff, all good stuff. So some brilliant, brilliant, you know, news there from this week in history. But it is time, Roger, to move on to our creators' shoutouts. All right, Roger. So this week, whose work would you like to celebrate? So, Pascal, this week I'm going to give a shout-out to a friend of mine, Phil Bray. Now, Phil runs a, a marketing agency with the incredible name of the Yardstick Agency. I've, I've always thought the Yardstick Agency is one just a great name for an agency. Um, Phil actually focuses mainly on helping financial services providers to market their businesses. Uh, but this article isn't really about financial services. This piece of content that Phil's written is about mental health. And again, I, I think we keep coming back to this topic, don't we, Pascal, that at the moment, with everything that's going on, you know, the doom and gloom we alluded to early on and the, and the bad news that we've got through the lockdowns and being confined to the home and whatever it might be, we do need to look after our mental health. And and Phil's written a nice little article, again, just reminding you of that. And what, what really drew, drew my attention to this was that the trigger for this effectively, uh, he just looked at his circumstances, was he was having an annual financial review with his financial advisor. So he was looking at his finances. And this particular financial advisor that he was talking to likes to think of your finances as financial well-being. And it was as a result of that talk about his finances that it triggered him to think about his own mental health. So I'm not going to go into any more details to what's in the article because it's worth reading and and I don't want to give it away. But I, I just love the way that it, it got triggered in his mind, thinking finance, and it got him thinking about his own mental health. So give it give it a look. The link will be in the show notes, and it's Phil Bray from the Yardstick Agency, and it's all about mental health and how you can improve it during the current circumstances. Well, that's excellent. So this week, Roger, I want to celebrate the work by Simon Raybould. Now, Simon Raybould is a specialist trainer in voice and presentation skills. I would say that he's probably my go-to presentation coach. If I have any doubt or if I need you know, some advice and feedback, I would turn to Simon. We've known each other for several years started to know each other as, uh, I suppose, uh, professionally, we've become friends over the years. And very recently, he's done quite a bit of work on LinkedIn, which you may have seen, where he's giving some bite-sized bits of advice to all of us who are spending so much time online, presenting ourselves through, you know, the webcam, really. And what is interesting about Simon is that he brings together voice, which essentially is his background because he comes from a performance and stage background. He then understands presentation and how to engage an audience in terms of storytelling and structure and so on. But he's also very curious about technology. 
So he's the kind of guy that would dissect Zoom or any other kind of platform like PowerPoint and find ways to utilize them better or with more innovation and more ingenuity so that you know your presentation become more engaging. He recently created a brand called Presentation Genius. Uh, it's a book now, it's a blog series, it's also a presentation system and, and a pack as well. But the reason I wanted to kind of mention something is because of his blog and his blogging and it will vary from writing about it to doing a quick video about it and what i like about simon's work it's very very diverse but in a way covers enormous amount of of information that you need so for example did you know roger that when you are speaking or delivering you know a presentation and you're feeling, feeling a bit thirsty drinking water is not always the best option and he has a video that explains why and gives you a different technique altogether. He will give you some information on PowerPoint. I, I've been using PowerPoint forever, but he always manages to surprise me with a little nugget, a little something that I never thought you know was there or existed, or using something that we all know, but using it in a very, very different way. And then to finish off, of course, he will tell you everything you have to know about presenting well building your confidence, engaging an audience, breaking it up, and so on. And at, at this moment in time, he's having a bit of a campaign around virtual presentation, how different they are to on-stage or in-person presentations. Very good stuff. I, actually, Pascal, I thought we'd already given Simon a shout-out on the show um, because, as you say, he, he's out there, and these tips, I see them every day on Twitter, etc. I, I thought we'd given him a shout-out, so it's long overdue that we, we give that shout-out. And I'm sure I've, I've heard the tip before that water isn't the good thing. Is, isn't it supposed to be some warm liquid? So That's why so his advice like that. is that it needs to be room temperature. If, yeah. um, As often is the case, you know, event organisers want to look after you, and they Will give you a glass with um, a jug of water full of ice cubes. Yes, Usually that's what right. you find. There's such a differentiation between the room temperature and the very icy cold water. You're going to feel thirsty very quickly afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well remembered. <laughs> so for all of you, you know, out there, uh, do give those content creators a bit of a visit and you know say hi from us. Whether it's something that intrigues you about a different approach to, to mental health as well as your presentation skills, as all of us are spending so much time you know having to present via the internet roger we have chosen a very special film from for film marketing segment can you hear the sound of this famous soundtrack that changed the world forever in 1984 i can hear it let's talk about it let's move into film marketing all right roger so as i mentioned a moment ago in 1984 a low-budget independent production completely took the box office by surprise, and the title was The Terminator. Oh, this film, Pascal. I, I, I actually don't know where to start talking about this film. I mean, it's got time travel in it, and you know how much I like my time travel. We've talked about Back to the Future before. I love those grandfather paradoxes, and this is the grandfather of all grandfather paradoxes isn't it the the coming back in time to kill somebody in order to change the, the future effectively um but yeah looking back it's it was a low budget film which actually looks incredibly high budget even now I, th I think you watch this film and think this is absolutely spot on with its special effects despite its age and 
incredibly fast paced you know i i think that once it gets going there's pretty much there's maybe one scene where uh sarah connor and um and the guy from the future sit down in a in a in a motel room and have a chat and uh, something else happens as well but that's about the that's about the only part of the film where there's any respite mm. from the relentless relentless onslaught of arnold schwarzenegger's android so yeah it, this this is this has got so many memories for me uh, and it's one of the best films i've ever seen I mean, to this day, you know, the um, we'll talk about the sequels as well and, and the role they may have played to actually make the first one shine e- even more. But um, it's just a fascinating story of content creators coming together and using true guerrilla-style filmmaking and ingenuity, to use that word again, whereby, again, not enough time, not enough money, not enough, you know, or the other, but still had a story they wanted to tell. So, so where do we begin? Well, goodness, I mean, I think what has worked is the fact that you had two people that really were driving the, the vision. You had mm. um, Gail and Heard, the producer, and James Cameron, the director yep. and writer. Now, both Gail and Heard and James Cameron had worked together for Roger Corman. Uh, for big film fans out there, Roger Corman would be known to you as, you know, this guy was a complete genius at creating movies, sometimes with little to no uh, resources. And they were working uh, with him. And I think they learned some very, very kind of thing, important uh, skills and, and ways in which you can get value on screen. I think, you know, as I mentioned just before we move on to film marketing, the music and soundtrack create an identity to the film that mm. is is like no other. So Brad Fidel, who, you know, I mean, as soon as you hear the pom 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 and you know that it's <laughs> beginning, you know, with uh, that kind of almost cyberpunk, but before people knew the term cyberpunk. Mm. In fact, if you mm. remember, James and Gail Anna had uh, coined the term tech noir, which was yep. used as the the name for the nightclub where Sarah Khan is, is hoping to to escape, you know, and be rescued by by the police. But what was interesting is again the history behind the movie, where you know there was a bit back and forth with regard to the casting. So you may have watched the documentaries like all of us, but you may remember that Lens Herringson was actually um, the first choice for the Terminator. The first mm. idea was somebody that was not like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was meant to be the hero. He was meant to play Kyle Reese. When Arnold Schwarzenegger received the script, he wanted to play the Terminator. His agent was actually nervous, saying, well, no, maybe if you're the hero, that'd be better, because if you're the bad guy, your career is just beginning with Conan Barbarian and so on, perhaps let's not go there. And interestingly, James Cameron didn't want uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger to play Kyle Reese at all. So they had this kind of strange meeting where none of them wanted the other to do the role. <laughs> and they were both in agreement. And, and to this day, they still laugh about this awkward lunch there where uh, James Cameron was looking for a way to tell um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can't be Kyle Reese. And Arnold was trying to think of a way to say, I don't want to be Kyle Reese. You know, so very, very amusing. But the one <laughs> thing that um, James took away from his time at you know, with Roger Corman, and I think himself because he was such a, a creative guy, he spent an enormous amount of time storyboarding and sketching to capture the vision and to be able to communicate it well with the production team. And I wonder whether that's the number one lesson as well for all of us content marketers. Do we need to spend more time sketching and storyboarding than being on mobile phones and laptops? I think it's a good it's a good call that, isn't it? I, I, I've seen, I, I'm sure I saw once that uh, somebody was able to build a house 
within about an hour, an entire house. And in the, in the program, they said, it isn't the fact that we did it in an hour. It's that everything was set out, planned and choreographed beforehand. And they spent weeks doing that. So literally it was just bang it all went up together and this is a great example of that they spent the time painstakingly mapping it out and that's probably why this film is just so relentless like i said before pretty much as soon as the film starts you you almost find yourself holding your breath for the entire 90 minutes or however long the film is it is so relentless and i don't think they could have achieved that that pace without it really nailing every little detail in advance and I think, therefore, the, the lesson we can take away is because of the storyboarding, which actually was kind of encouraged because Arnold Schwarzenegger had to delay taking part in the um, in the film. He was already booked to do something else. And the production team, James Cameron, you know, Gail Ann Hurd and the others, used that time to prep and prep and prep. And literally being on the day of the shoot, they could film exactly what they needed as opposed to turning up on location and then deciding what they're going to do. And I wonder again whether there's a lesson in that for us to be more efficient as content marketers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This is a good, uh, this is a really sal- a good lesson in, in, in how to do that. Do you know when you talk about the the, the pace? Uh, I mean, do you have? It's hard, you know, but do you have any favorite moments or any oh, favorite scenes in Terminator? Uh, th- there's one. There's one scene where um, the the Terminator's in his in his room, and I think he's already been damaged, so maybe half of his face has disappeared. And and somebody knocks on the door. It might be a, a janitor or something. And, oh, yeah. and 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 you can see that all these potential responses come <laughs> up on the screen. And, and the bottom one is F off and 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 it almost it flashes and then uh schwarzenegger turns to the door and goes off and uh, oh yeah i just love that bit but i think it funnily enough for me is when when the android effectively becomes totally metal so his skin's all gone and it's now just the metal part that was for me the most exciting and most terrifying so that was the bit that arnold obviously wasn't in that was that was really what got me when uh, the music composer Brad Fidel was asked to work on the project, now you must remember all of us that back then James Cameron was nobody. Yeah, uh, I think you'd be the first one to say that. You know, to save money, uh, I think he and a few others slept in cars and on set, you know, <laughs> and sometime um, didn't have always permission to film, but just went on that proper guerrilla style, uh, which is um, always quite exciting. And the so Bradfield it confesses that it, it met quite a few up and coming you know filmmakers always full of obviously passion for their project. But when he said when I watch it, it's pretty mediocre, and then I'm going to come <laughs> up with you know the music. He say so he watched there and he say embarrassingly James stayed you know so I was like oh, crap I'm going to watch the film with the, the the filmmaker. What if I don't like it that much? I'm going to have to pretend. And he was saying that by the end of the, the movie, you know when the uh, the, the androids gets up again mm. and it's almost like it's relentless and Brad Fidel says you know he caught himself saying I can't believe it will it ever die you know and <laughs> he was completely caught up in a story and then he realized oh no now he's going to think you know that uh, I like the movie too much and that kind of thing so there was, there was some, some fascinating things but for me the, the one message that, that I took away from a marketing point of view is once again the disconnect between the creators and the distributors so mm. I think through the effort of Gail and Heard again they got the distribution of support from Orion Pictures 
And but they, the the you know, so the suits at or in pictures didn't know what they had, and they were confused by the film. What was it? Action? Is it sci-fi? Uh, and this and the other. So what they did was to promote it to only a young male audience, thinking to mm. to them really, here if you want to be more sci-fi, you know, uh, this is one for you. If they only had one screening for the critics, and were looking to to release it to only a small number of cinemas, which is crazy. And then the agents for both um, Michael Bean, who plays Kyle Reese, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, realized that this was. A, a vastly a superior as a film and they organized their own screenings without telling yeah. you know the distributors the critics loved it and more importantly talking about getting the audience demographics wrong so did a female audience and couples yeah. because ultimately this is a love story yeah. between sarah connor and kyle reese absolutely right and 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 again it you know, we keep coming back to this on the show, Pascal. We've, you've got to know your audience, and they probably missed a trick because they didn't do enough test screenings. They didn't talk. If they'd have realised that this film was going to appeal to females and to couples, it could have been an even bigger initial box office success. So I think they, 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 you, need, you need to test your audience. You always need to test your audience. And how many times do we hear do we hear that story? And, and what was crazy is because Orion, Orion Pictures thought they had it right, they blew all their budget in targeting solely that young male audience. Yeah. And when they realized their mistake, they had no budget for marketing left. That's and incredible. thank God for word of mouth. Thank God for <laughs> the critics who wrote articles galore uh, and the interviews and so on. But um, you're right, you know, there could have been an even greater success had it done just that. And, and, I, and I think for me, it's back to this idea of, you know, spending just enough time on the audience and not reflecting on them is so, so important. And here's a really geeky thing. Here's a really <laughs> geeky thing. Um, I know that you're not a massive Doctor Who fan. Um, I'm not. But Doctor Who is one of my uh, favourite all-time TV shows. And there was a story, a Doctor Who story, first broadcast in 1972. So... Uh, a decade before Terminator came out, and it was John Pertwee was pre was played the Doctor, and the story was called Day of the Daleks, and the story started in the present day, so in in 1972, and these people came back from the future in order to kill somebody in the present to prevent the future taking place and the in the future the daleks had invaded the earth and they th they came back in time to kill this politician that they felt was responsible for the way the future turned out and the daleks of course look like machines and i've always wondered whether cameron saw that story day of the daleks and effectively ripped off the storyline because it, it is absolutely exactly the same idea. People from the future coming back in time to kill somebody in order to change the future that they live in. And it, it, it's actually worth it. If you've never seen that Doctor yeah, Who story, yeah. buy, buy it on DVD. The, the, it's actually a really good story and it's one that they've actually updated with visual effects and uh, and special effects from the present day to make it look less uh, 70s. Uh, I've always wondered whether uh, James Cameron had secretly been a Doctor Who fan and had seen that story <laughs> and, and, and used it. <laughs> well, 
Uh, do you know, I, I, someone like him it must be so well read and so well, whatever the expression is, you know, to watch, you know, it, 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 because, you know, he, he just loves the, the, the medium. You're absolutely right. But it's fascinating, you know, this idea of time travel and, the, and this idea of make it changing past and future has been around, it would seem, forever. I'm thinking right now, as I'm talking to you, you not know, Looper with uh, Bruce yeah. Willis was actually yep. very, very interesting. I've got one to watch, which I've not seen yet, called Predestination with uh, Ethan Hawke, I think. Um, simple ones like Time Cop, you know, with Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, there's, there's always there where we, we seem uh, as, as a society, you know, as a culture, we always, we're intrigued by this idea of the butterfly effect. Yeah, and there was a great, we're, we're going to go off on a time That's, travel tangent right. here, but back again, back in the eight, I think it was back in the 80s, there was a BBC one-off play, which was called The Flip Side of Dominic Hyde. And again, that was a, a real mind-blowingly complicated time travel conundrum. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to go and see if I can find that now. <laughs> so, do you know, you're talking about knowing your audience. I think as storytellers, we also need to understand the craft of storytelling mm. and know your hero. So we, uh, in screenwriting and filmmaking kind of terms, a hero is the character who changes the most throughout the, the, the duration of the film. In this case, of course, is Sarah Connor who changes the most and is the one that almost, you know, uh, saves calories to begin with and tries to anyway. And th that to me was very, very important. And of course, she came back in T2, Terminator 2, which was yep. this incredible, oh, wow. I, mean, I remember going to the movies in 1991 when it came out and left thinking, what have I just seen? Because you were right, you know, <laughs> T2 was just as relentless as the very first one. Absolutely. I mean, if not more, um, and and of course they had the bigger budget to spend, mm, and, and of course the set set pieces were even more impressive. So um, in the first one, you know, you have the love story between uh, Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese. In the second one, is obviously between Sarah Connor and John Connor. You know, mm. and then God knows what they were thinking with Terminator Three. But I was, I mean, I wanted to love it because I love the franchise, but but I couldn't, Roger. It just didn't work for me at all. Have they not sort of retconned that out of existence now? Because the the, la the last Terminator film that came out last year was effectively set after Terminator Two, wasn't it? Yeah, I think Dark Fate, and yeah. that that was so much better. Uh, yeah, so, so much better. Um, I'm actually okay with um, Terminator Salvation, you know, with um, Kristen Kristen Bell. Mm. I think that's all right. And I was okay with the TV series, but you're right, yeah. That that and what was it? Was it Genesis? I thought that was just diabolical. Uh, yeah. When you think again, so my point to you is that those kind of clumsy effort makes the first one look even better when they have a fraction of the time and a fraction of the budget. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's something you see in, in Cameron's films, isn't it? Is the is the actual story is not quite what you expected. Like, this is a love story. You know, even Titanic was a love story wasn't it really it, mm. it was just that the, they were on the titanic at the time and i think it's a you know again look at the film and and look at the story that's being told and especially with cameron it, it's often just a little bit off off what you think it might actually be 
Now, for, for that point, he's, he's, he's a very, very you know, good storyteller and is in line with the likes of Ridley Scott and, and many others. And the film has been so successful that it, it's done well back in, the, in 1985 with VHS. Then he had his DVD special edition, which I've got, then the Blu-ray, then the 4Ks and so on. And, I, I, you know, they, they must feel so proud as filmmakers that, you know, here we are, you know, all those years later still talking about it as, as a reference, as something that you can learn from. And, of course, we mentioned the Nintendo NES and the Sega Mega Drive before, and the Terminator Mega Drive game was fabulous, absolutely fabulous. It was a platform shooter, but I I can remember spending hours playing that game. So I'm going to leave you with, um, I suppose, a quote from James Cameron. Okay. So it was asked, obviously, about, you know, was he surprised? And, of course, he was surprised. But he said, but in, in really, it was kind of a hit because we were we released it smartly between the summer blockbusters and the Christmas blockbusters. And his quote is as, as follows, because, you see, it is better to be a big fish in a small pond than the other way around. Yeah. And that Wise would be words. the last, you know, film marketing tip, which is know your timing as well. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, Roger, thank you so much. So to our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for your support. This has been episode 15 of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Please leave comments, reviews, and subscribe to all the usual places. He was Roger Edwards. I was Pascal Fintoni. Until next time, go out there, make sure your marketing is done right. We'll be back. (laughs) 